The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. We are going to be talking about worldviews today. I kind of, I don't know if you remember, about a month or two ago, we were talking about how to tell the difference between apes and humans and the different kind of fossils they find. And at the end of it, I started getting into different worldviews and how evidence is interpreted differently based on the different belief systems people have. And first, I want to apologize to the youth group because we've already been over this. We've spent quite a few weeks on it. But I think this is something that I would like everyone to understand. So we will be going over it. It's going to be a two-part lesson this week and next week. Uh, This week, I just wanted to go over just kind of exercising your critical thinking. And then we're going to kind of lead in more into what's called the transcendental argument. Um, There's different methods of apologetics, different methods of defending the Christian faith. Uh, There's classical apologetics, there's evidential apologetics. The idea uh, behind evidential apologetics is trying to persuade some Christianity is true purely by using observable evidence like astronomy and archaeology and things like that. And I think there's good uses for that. It answers a lot of questions people may have and it may start discussion. But I do think the primary apologetic, the primary way of defending the Christian worldview is what's called presuppositionalism. I know it's a big word. Uh, It's also called transcendentalism. And it deals with what you presuppose to be true without argument. Things like your memory. You all assume that your memory is reliable for the most part, right? But if I were to ask you, prove to me that your memory is reliable, that what you remember happening actually happened, you might say, well, I took a memory test just a few days ago and I passed flying colors. But that just begs the question, how do you know you took a memory test a few days ago? You would have to remember that, in which case, you know, you're still left with the question, how do I prove that? And really, you can't. You presuppose it without argument. And presuppositionalism really digs in to how do evolutionists know what they know? How do they know that their reasoning is correct? And how do they know their worldview is right? And we're going to be getting into that. But first, as I said, I want to exercise your critical thinking skills. And I also want to give you some reasons why evidentialism really shouldn't be the primary mode of apologetics. So... There's some good evidence for creationism. There's um, information science, and Wayner Gitt is one of the leading information scientists. He formulated some laws of information. What is the nature of information? Uh, and information would be things like you read in a book, obviously. It has information, it has words, it has grammar, it has meaning, it has purpose. Well, DNA also has information, and that's not just an analogy. It actually is information. And Dr. Wiener Gitt said, there is no known law of nature, no known process, and no known sequence of events which can cause information to originate by itself in matter. And by the way, a lot of what we're going to be talking about is from Dr. Lyle's The Ultimate Proof of Creation. I will be kind of tweaking it a little and slowing it down, but I would recommend that resource as well. But you cannot get information by random processes which is what is required for evolution to take place. And evolutionists would say, well, we evolved from a single-cell organism into 
fish and amphibians and mammals and so on into humans. But that requires information, a lot of information, to be continually added to the cell. But how do you get information? How do you get instructions for that? Well, it's not going to be by random chance processes. It's going to have to be from a mental source, which is actually one of the laws of information. Information can only be produced by an intelligent sender. An intelligent sender is, sender is defined as uh, something that is conscious, has a will of its own, is creative, thinks autonomously, and acts purposely, purposefully. You're not going to get that through evolution and random events. They have to take that purely by blind faith that somehow, some way, we got cells to turn into people. Even though there's no intelligent sender or intelligent creator that added information to the genome to do that. Uh, sometimes information can be beneficial. Uh, there's bacteria that dies when you give it antibiotics, and the way it does that is the antibiotics goes into the cell, it binds with a protein, it turns it into poison within the cell, and it kills it. Okay? Antibiotic comes into the cell, reacts with stuff that's inside of it, turns it to poison, and it dies. But sometimes there's a mutation where there's a loss of information, and the bacteria will no longer... The next slide, thank you. The bacteria will no longer be able to produce that protein. It can't produce the protein. So what happens is the antibiotic goes in, it doesn't have anything to react to, so there's no poison, and it dies. It doesn't die. And then it continues to reproduce and take over. So it's beneficial in that circumstance, but that is not an, addi an addition of information. That is a reduction. That is corruption in the genome. So sometimes mutations can be, be beneficial, that's fine. But that does not mean you are adding information. Another line of evidence for creation is comets. Comets, if you remember from last time, it's a while ago, comets cannot last more than 100,000 years, and that's being generous. A lot of comets, as soon as they pass around the sun, they instantly dissolve. It's too hot for them. But some comets do survive longer than that, obviously Halley's Comet, things like that. But if the solar system is billions and billions of years old, as evolutionists like to say, how do we still have comets? Why do we still have comets in a, in a solar system billions of years old? They can't last nearly that long. Well, they'll say, well, um, maybe there's some other source of comets, and they call that an Oort cloud. Maybe we should switch to the next image, a little better image. I'm sorry for the little too small. An Oort cloud is by, invented by John, uh, Jan Oort. It's this idea that there's this big sphere of comets way outside of our solar system. And every now and then, some of them get knocked into the solar system, and then it resupplies our system with new comets. Is there any observational evidence for an Oort cloud? And the answer is no. There's none. It's just something they made up because they couldn't figure out how do we still have comets in a, system, uh, a solar system that's billions of years old. And that is what you call a rescuing device. A rescuing device is a possible conjecture to protect one's worldview from contrary evidence. And this is something we all do. We all use rescuing devices. Uh, if I brought to you some contradiction in the Bible that you didn't understand how to answer, you might come up with some solution to protect the Bible from being seen as contradictory, as self-contradicting. So you can't blame people too much for using that, but we should try and avoid those. <clears throat> now, 
Why do they have to invent the Oort cloud? Well, that's because they have a different worldview. They have a different way of looking at the world. Uh, we look at comets and dinosaur fossils and canyons and so on and so forth, and we interpret that through what the Bible tells us, that there was a global flood, that the universe was made about 6,000 years ago, and we come up with, wow, this is great evidence for creation. But the evolutionist has a completely different belief system, a different way of filtering the evidence. He filters it through Darwinism. And he comes out with the idea that this is great evidence for evolution. So we have the same hardware, different operating systems. It's a way to put it. We look at the world with different presuppositions. We can look at, again, <laughs> a little tiny. Sorry about that. <clears throat> we look at dinosaurs and we say, wow, this is great evidence for creation. But the secularists and the evolutionists will say, no, this is great evidence for evolution. We look at canyons and rock layers and we say, wow, that can only be caused by a global flood. And they say, well, I think over billions and billions of years, little bits of water could do that. They have a completely different worldview. It doesn't matter what evidence you throw at someone, they will always reinterpret it according to their beliefs. And this is what Paul was essentially getting at. <clears throat> he said in Romans 1, 18 through 22, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven and against all unrighteousness and ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God has showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse and the word excuse there is where we get the word apologetics it's the word apologia literally they are without an apologetic without a defense because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, and neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. In Romans 8, 7, it says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You cannot persuade someone by giving them the creation. Again, I'm not saying don't use it. It can be useful and it can answer a lot of questions. It can help uh, shut their mouths a little bit, but it's not going to persuade them to believe in Christ because they already know God. They have, or God has already shown himself through the creation, but they have chosen to suppress it. And this is where we get into the doctrine of the noetic effects of the fall. The noetic, noetic refers to the mind. It refers specifically to your reasoning ability, your ability to reason and think critically and logically. The carnal mind cannot think rationally about spiritual matters, mainly because he will not. He does not want to. He can think very rationally about you know, physics and mathematics and all those things, but he cannot and will not think rationally when it comes to spiritual issues. This is part of the, uh, the fall. It corrupts our way of thinking. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural mind receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. To put it another way, our thinking is busted. It, it's broken. It doesn't work right. Our ability to accept and reason truthfully about spiritual matters is broken. 
if you want to show these as I say them. Romans 8, 7 says, The carnal mind is enmity against God. Colossians 2, 13 says, We are dead in our sins, unable to respond to any sort of spiritual truth. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, 4, 3 through 4 says, In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The Bible continually says we are actively in enmity against God. We are dead in our sins. We have our minds blinded. We cannot see. And the solution to the noetic effects is a pro first comes from being born again. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So it doesn't matter how much evidence you throw at someone, they will not believe. They're just going to keep coming up with their rescuing devices to protect their worldview. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not useful at times to use evidence, but I'm saying it shouldn't be your primary mode of defending the faith. John 8.32 says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And of course, it's speaking of the truth of God's word. Romans 12.2 says, Be not conformed to the image of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. If we want to overcome this blindness in our minds, we need to have our minds renewed. And that comes from the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. And of course, Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And another proverb says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge and wisdom come from faith in God. If you want actual knowledge and actual truth, you need to have faith in God. Otherwise, you're going to have a completely skewed view of the world. And this is why we can look at things like Mount St. Helens, and we can point to that and say, wow, that made really quick rock layers. Very quickly. Uh, we can point to the fact that Mount St. Helens also made great canyons very rapidly. And we can point and say, well, how do you think the Grand Canyon was made then? It has all the same, it's, this is a smaller canyon, but it has all the same features and same patterns in the rock layers. And that was formed by a rapid flood. And so we would argue, well, the Grand Canyon must have been the effects of Noah's flood as well. Uh, we can look through uh, folded rock layers, these massive bent rock layers. And the thing that's interesting about them is that they are not cracked. If you take a rock and you try and bend it, it's not going to bend. It's going to crack and shatter. So how do we wind up with all these large bent rock layers? Well, that would have had to happen while they would have to have bent while they were still soft. They couldn't have bent like that while they were still hard. So that whole thing had to have been formed while all the rock was soft. We can point to diamonds. And we can say, well, there's C14 in diamonds. You can't really contaminate diamonds at all. So you can't use contamination as... Uh, an excuse. If C14 is in diamonds, that means they can't be more than about 60,000 years old, 58 to 60,000. C14 would degrade far too quickly for that to happen. And even if you had a very large supply of C14, like the entire Earth, if the entire Earth were made out of C14, it would have all decayed within a million years. So why do we still have C14 in diamonds that are supposedly billions and billions of years old? That can't happen. We can look at uh, dinosaur tissues and blood cells. You're not going to get that if dinosaur tissues and blood cells are millions and millions of years old. It's not going to happen. It's going to decay. It's going to rot. It's going to uh, corrupt. You're not going to have anything recognizable after millions of years. Some people have known um, the lady who discovered blood cells in dinosaur bones and all the soft tissue and bone marrow, she couldn't believe it. 
And she did dozens and dozens and dozens of repeat experiments trying to disprove what she had actually found. And she spent months pondering, should I even publish this discovery? Because she knew she was going to be the laughingstock. And she was. Many people, many people who read her publishings about her findings, they said, that can't be true. I don't care what you say, that has to be wrong. There has to be something wrong with your experiments. And it's been validated over and over and over again that there is soft tissue in dinosaur bones. And of course, we can also look at DNA again. DNA is the most complex and dense form of information anyone can conceive of. There is nothing more complex than this. Uh, the DNA strand contains about four amino acids. Uh, RNA has something different, though. Each word, if you want to call it that, it can be called that, is about three letters long. DNA strand can lead, read from left to right and get one set of instructions. And then it can read the same strand right to left and get a different set of instructions. And then it can zigzag up and down right to left and get a different set of instructions and do the same thing backwards. You can do it dozens of different ways and get different instructions using the same code. So if I asked you to write a letter reading from left to right addressed to me, but I want you to word it in such a way that if we read it from right to left, it's uh, a message for Bob. And if I read it from top to bo bottom to top, it's a message for Tate. That's how I want you to word your letter. You can't do that. That's far too complex. So the, the evolution is just going to say, well, maybe, that rock, maybe those rock layers at Mount St. Helens formed quickly, but how do you know the Grand Canyon formed that quickly? You don't know that. Just because one formed quickly doesn't mean the other did. Just because the canyons formed from Mount St. Helens quickly doesn't mean they all did. C14 diamonds, well, we don't really have an answer for that yet, but give us time, we'll come up with an answer. Why, is, why are there soft tissues in dinosaur bones? Well, we don't really know yet, but give us time, we'll figure it out. Why is there information in DNA? Well, just give us time, we'll figure it out. Time is the, self, the savior for everything in the evolutionary worldview. It's what causes it, it's what fixes it, it's what answers it. There's no real solution. So the battle is the same evidence, different interpretations of that evidence. So evidence can be good and useful, and I'm not saying don't use it, but we should remember it's not, it's, evidence by itself will not persuade anybody. We have different ways of looking at the world around us. You can imagine it like glasses. If you have the Bible as your filter for interpreting evidence, you see the world as it is. I can see, see how the grass is green? But the evolution is going to say, what are you talking about? The grass is purple, obviously. The sky is purple. Everything's purple. That's not actually how it is, but that's what they see. And it makes sense to them because they have a different worldview. And just because someone is a scientist does not mean that the noetic effects of the fall suddenly go away. They can do you know, obser um, observational science very well. They can understand atoms and mathematics and cars and things like that. They can do that very well. But when it comes to a question about origins, where did we come from? Do we have a divine creator? They are not going to be able to rationally conclude that. They have a completely different worldview and a different way of understanding the past. The past is not observable, so they have to construct a belief system to understand it. So, before we actually get into the argument for the Bible and creation, an irrefutable argument for creation, uh, I want to kind of test your critical thinking. I want to exercise your thinking. We're going to go over a bit of logic. Logic is the study of correct and incorrect reasoning. I'm sorry if it's a little too small. 
I kind of underestimated how it looked on the screen when I was making it. <laughs> I didn't think it would look this small on the screen. Um, that is the study of correct and incorrect reasoning. It's formed by propositions. An argument is made out of propositions. A proposition is a statement that affirms or denies something as true. I affirm or deny something. So, for example, if I said, tonight will not go well, is that a proposition? And I am ask actually asking. Yes, that is a proposition. Is the sky blue? Is that a proposition? No, that is not a proposition. Go outside. What is it? It's a command. That is not a proposition. Study more logic, please. Would you please study more logic? Would you learn how to think, please? <laughs> is that a proposition? A request, a command, right? And finally, do or do not, there is no try. Is that a proposition? This one always gets people. Yoda's hard to understand sometimes. It is a proposition. The proposition is there is no try. That is the proposition. I'm affirming or denying something. An argument then, oops, oh, we took that out, right? An argument then is a set, it's a group of propositions where one is claimed to follow from the others. So I have a few propositions and I want this last one to follow logically from the others. That is called the conclusion. So let's do a little example, some examples. All men are mortal. Joel is a man. Joel is a man, so therefore Joel is mortal. Is that a good argument? Yeah, yeah that is a good argument. Uh, first of all, I want to point out this is a valid argument. Uh, when you use the term a valid argument, what we're saying is the conclusion does follow from the given premises. It follows from what the premises are. So this is a valid argument. The conclusion does follow. And then when we say an argument is sound, we have a sound argument. What we mean is, one, it is valid. So that's kind of step one. And also, all the premises are true. Are, these both, are both the premises true? All men are mortal and Joel is a man. Yes, both of those are true. So this is a sound argument, which means the conclusion by necessity must also be true. I guess it moved on. What about this one? All dogs are cats. Some people are chickens. Therefore, the sky is blue. Is that a good argument? Is it, is it valid? No, it is not a valid argument. But it does have a true conclusion. The conclusion is true. So just because you, someone may have bad reasoning and might accidentally stumble across a true conclusion. So something to look at. So there are a few ways, there are a few different kinds of arguments. There's a valid argument. I don't know what that is. A valid argument and that it, there is a sound argument and there is a fallacious argument. An argument that is fallacious. It has a fallacy. A fallacy is when the conclusion does not follow from the premise. There's, there's a break in the chain of reasoning. It does, it's not flowing very well. So let's look at some more examples. All dogs are mortal. Fat is, a, fat is mortal. 
therefore Thad is a dog. Right? All, all dogs are mortal and Thad is mortal, therefore Thad is a dog. Is that valid? No, it's not valid. <laughs> There's a problem here. It is not valid. Just because all dogs are mortal does not mean Thad, and Thad is mortal, does not mean Thad is a dog. Dogs are mortal, but people are also mortal. All dogs are mortal, but not all mortals are dogs, right? You have a bad conclusion, but all the premises are true. So you could have true premises in a wrong conclusion. That is a fallacy. There's a break. It's not flowing. How about this one? You want to switch? Practice makes perfect. Brenda practices nursing, therefore Brenda is perfect. You're laughing. <laughs> is that a good argument? No, it's not. It's not valid. But can anyone tell me what's wrong with the argument? Specifically, what fallacy is it? What, thing is what, what is perfect? And is, do any of the kids remember what the fallacy is called? And that's called equivocation, or also sometimes called bait and switch, because you bait someone on one meaning, and then you switch it to a different meaning in the middle of your argument. First, by practice, we mean the verb of continually repeating something. By practice in the second one, we mean your career path and what you're studying. Those aren't the same kind of practice. How about this one? All mammals are reptiles. All dogs are mammals. Therefore, all dogs are reptiles. Is that valid? Yes. Is it flowing? Yes, it is valid. It, it's flowing. Given the premises, all mammals are reptiles and all dogs are mammals, well, if that's true, then all dogs must be reptiles. That is valid. But is it sound? No, it is not a sound argument. There is a false premise. So there are a few, and I pointed that out because there's a few different ways why an argument can be bad. One, it could have a fallacy. There's a break in the chain of reasoning. It's not flowing. There could be a false premise. One of the propositions is not true. And then it could also just be completely arbitrary. It's just completely based on your own opinion. It's not really an argument. And something I really want to stress here, and this is going to be important for later, if, for next week, because I don't think we're going to get into it this week. I really want to stress, no one is allowed to be arbitrary in logic. You must give me a reason. You cannot just base something on your opinion or just say, that's just the way it is. You know, if I asked an evolutionist, why does matter behave in consistent law-like fashions? And they'll say, well, matter is that's just the way it is. Okay, well, then I can say the Bible's true, and that's just the way it is. I don't need to give you a reason for it. So if I ask you, why does matter behave in a consistent way, you need to give me a reason. And that's, not, that's going to be very difficult for the, evolution, uh, the evolutionists to do. Just a few more examples, and we'll probably finish up here. Again, I just want to get your logic and kind of practice logic here, because you're going to probably going to need it for next week. can't quite see that. <laughs> I can't even see it myself. I see evolution happening, therefore evolution is true. Is that a good argument? No, it's not a good argument. Why is it not a good argument? 
It's equivocation. Why is it equivocation? I see evolution happening, therefore evolution is true. And you're going to hear that a lot. Why is that equivocation? You can just shout it out. The definition of, of evolution has changed. I, see, I know evolution is true because I see evolution happening. And there it's kind of illustrating. I know evolution, I know molecules can evolve into human beings because I see dogs turning into dogs. Well, that doesn't follow. Just because a wolf becomes a domesticated dog or a coyote or a Diego, those are all dogs. You haven't changed from one kind of animal into a different kind of animal. So when people say, well, I know molecules can turn into people because I see an animal staying the same kind of animal, that doesn't follow. That is equivocation. Another one you'll hear a lot, usually from lay people, will say, science says evolution is a fact. Therefore, evolution is a fact. And of course, that's not valid. What's wrong with that? Science is a concept. It does not speak. That is called reification. Reification is when you attribute uh, concrete characteristics or living characteristics to an idea or concept. Science is a concept. It doesn't walk or talk or think. It's just a concept. It cannot say anything. Scientists say things. So what about that argument? Scientists say evolution is a fact. Therefore, evolution is a fact. This is a very common fallacy people always make. That is called an appeal to authority. And it is not valid. One, experts can be wrong. That's been demonstrated time and again throughout history. Even the majority of experts can be wrong, as in the times of Galileo. <laughs> I think we all know that story. Another reason why is not all experts say evolution is a fact. For every expert that you claim supports your position, I can point to an expert that supports my position. So it might be good kind of confirmation, but you cannot use that as your argument. Here's another common fallacy. No Scotsman puts sugar in his porridge. Well, Bodhi's a Scotsman. He puts sugar in his porridge. Well, no real Scotsman puts sugar in his porridge. What happened there? I redefined what a Scotsman was. That is called the no true Scotsman fallacy. Primarily because this is the example that's always given. It arbitrarily redefines a word to discredit counter examples. And that's exactly what he does here. He's trying to discredit a counterexample. What does putting sugar in your porridge have to do with being from Scotland? Are you from Scotland or not? That's what a Scotsman is. And so he redefines what a Scotsman is. So when people say, well, no real scientist denies evolution is true. Well, the, people's an the scientists' answer in Genesis say evolution isn't true. Well, no real scientist would deny evolution is true. Your, yours aren't real scientists. That is arbitrary and is therefore reversible. All arbitrary arguments are reversible. It's a good way of fighting arbitrariness. Just be arbitrary back. <laughs> Just be arbitrary, and it will point out their error in their reasoning. I could say, well, no, actually, no real scientist would deny creation is true. So your evolutionary scientists aren't real scientists. Because that's just an opinion. That's not what a scientist is defined as. Why don't we skip down to a question here? If you want to skip down to what are, uh, what are laws of logic, if you want to go to there. 
because this is going to set up for next week. What are laws of logic? 38, although it might be a few more down from you. It might be 40 for you. What are laws of logic? What are they? Can you touch a law of logic? Can you measure the magnetic field of a law of logic? Can you measure its temperature? Can you see it in a telescope or a microscope? No, because they're not material. And a law of logic, just as an example, would be if I said uh, the law of non-contradiction. And if you don't know what that is, it's kind of intuitive um, what it means. Something cannot both be true and not true. My car cannot be in the parking lot and not in the parking lot at the same time, right? And that you might say, well, duh, it's kind of obvious, but that is rational, and that is a law. It cannot be broken. My car cannot be where it is and not where it is at the same time. You cannot affirm something and deny it at the same time. It can be, you can deny it at different times. My car could be here at 10 and not here at 4, right? It could change over time. It could be different senses as well, but we won't get into that. And this is going to get a little philosophical, but I promise you, the more you think about it, it starts to sink in, and I really just want to set this up for next week. Why don't we skip that? Uh, I think you went a few more ahead of me. There it is. There it is. Laws of logic are universal. They apply everywhere. It's not like contradictions can happen here in the United States, but if you go to the moon, their contradictions can happen. There you can contradict yourself, and it'll both be true. That doesn't make sense. Contradictions do not happen anywhere. They are universal. Contradiction, uh, the law of non-contradiction is invariant. It does not change over time. It's not like you, can con you cannot contradict yourself today, but tomorrow then you can contradict yourself and you can still be true. Mm -mm. It, this, contradictions never happen. They never, that never changes. Laws of logic are immaterial. We talked about you cannot touch it. You cannot measure the, field, the magnetic field of it. It's not made of atoms. They are immaterial, and they are abstract. That is, they're concepts. They exist in the thought. Where do these laws come from? Well, I would argue they can only come from someone who is universal, invariant, immaterial, and has concepts. Where is the evolutionist going to get that? I would argue God's thoughts are omnipresent, and since God upholds the universe, contradictions cannot happen anywhere, because his thoughts uphold the universe. God is also invariant. He does not change, and so contradictions can never happen. God is spirit. He's an immaterial being, and therefore his thoughts must necessarily be immaterial. And of course, God's thoughts are conceptual because all thoughts are conceptual. Putting it another way, what are laws of logic? They describe how God thinks, or I should say the nature of God's thoughts. God doesn't have a thought process, obviously, because he's omniscient. If you already know everything, you cannot have a process of thinking. But they describe the nature of God's thoughts. God's thoughts can never contradict each other. Uh, the Bible says God cannot deny himself. He cannot contradict himself. That's outside of his own nature. And that's where we're going to be talking about next week more about 
what are laws of logic and where do they come from, and how evolutionists, and actually anyone who rejects the Bible cannot account for logic at all. There's no way of justifying it. So I realize this is a bit philosophical, but I promise you it does not take too long for it to start sinking in the more you think about it and the more you rehearse it. So we'll pick this up next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.